I think my positive message is believe in the children who you think are the most, who are the most amazing you've seen in 20 years of teaching. Do you need encouragement to turn tragedies into your own triumphant life story? If so, this podcast is for you. Listen to powerful guests who have persevered through challenges so you can gain strength to build your championship life. The host of Professor of Perseverance Podcast, Dr. James Perdue. Hey, 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 come on in. Step in again today for the Professor of Perseverance Podcast. I want to thank you for persevering and coming in and checking this podcast out to help you, to help you get some motivation, to get you some inspiration, to help you get some hope to move on through whatever trials and tribulations you're going through. Hey, today's guest and topic today, we're going to be talking about the education a little bit. You know, has some literacy and how we overcome things. So um, my guest today, her story began in 1994 when her son failed to first grade. All right, failed first grade. Testing revealed he could only read 10 words. There was no real strength involved and with a low IQ. Prognosis was not great at that time. Well, what happened here? Big Mama stepped in and says, I'm going to show you educational system, and my son is not that way, and we're going to beat this, and we're going to go after it. So, welcome to the show, Lois Letchford. Thank you, James. I'm delighted to be here with you, the Professor of Perseverance. All right. Thank, oh, thank you for that. And, man, this is going to be amazing because we know how our educational can be, should be, and how it is sometimes. And so, um, I mean, that's it's got to be something to uh, – and uh, I, I, I can't say too much about failing first grade because I did fail the second grade. And so I did fail the second grade. And, and of course, I don't remember what all the prognosis was then. But obviously, something may or may not right, and it may have been just me. Who knows? Because uh, I've heard all through my career in education, through high school, James, you're not putting forth enough edu- uh, effort. So they thought I was smart enough. So they didn't come up with your prognosis for your son. Uh, they were just telling me I was lazy, and it's not that yeah. I was lazy. I told people it's not that I was lazy, but I wanted to play sports more than I wanted to play the educational system, but I knew all I needed to do was keep a C average to be able to play. And so I kept that good, strong C. Well, may not have been a strong C, but I kept that C average so I could play. Uh, I didn't care about, you know, higher grades than that. So mine's a little different. Mine was just then with your sons. All right. So, all right, Lois, so if you just go ahead and hop in and let's let's go and get started uh, with your story and with your son and his, uh, what's his name? Nicholas. Nicholas. Nicholas, yes. So, we sent, yeah, we go from there, yeah. We sent him to school in 1994 and he knew he had a problem and he was reluctant to go to school and he wet his pants, he bit his fingernails and then I spoke to the teacher on day six and she just threw up her hands and said, well, you know, he's so far behind, I don't know how I'm going to cope with him this year. And sadly, I sent him to school every single day for that year. And she had already given up on him, like you said, yes. day, day six? Yes. Had already given up with a whole yes. year to go. Yep. And and made the comment he's so far behind. All right, maybe he is behind. Maybe you don't have to catch him up exactly next week, but we'll have a whole year to catch up as much as we can. But she'd already given up on day six. Not only gave up, but then he's socially isolated. He's excluded from the class. He sits by himself every single lunchtime and playtime. Wow, I'm sorry to hear that. That's that's amazing. Yeah, especially in 1990, we'd say four, especially mm-hmm. that, wow. I mean, I guess mm-hmm. I can understand it, 1894, uh, maybe, uh, but wow, in 1994, 
when you got the ADA laws and everything like that going for you and educational reforms, all that, the No Child Left Behind stuff, and already, wow. Okay, go ahead. And we were in Brisbane, Australia, in the school of the city to go to, mm-hmm. in the school, the, the best school you could have been to. Yeah. Not a low socioeconomic school. All right. Amazing. Anyway. I married a professor and the following year in 1995, he has study leave back in Oxford, UK. And so we're going to take the family with us for six months. We arrive in July and the schools go on their summer break. So our six weeks is down, six months is down to four months because Nicholas refuses to work with me when there's a house full of people. And his brother's not in school. So I couldn't do anything. So we just travelled and I thought, let it go. But I did take a series of books with me called Success for All. And they had words on the page, words, 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 and he's to decode the word and say it. By the time I got to the end of the page, he's forgotten the first word. So that was a yet another disaster. Yes. And I am no better than his classroom teacher. Yes. My mother-in-law, Dawn, was with us and she said to me, Lois, put away what's not working and make learning fun. And her words allowed me to say, throw it out, can't use it, do something different. But what do I do? You know, there's no internet at the time. I've got me. I can't get to the library for tomorrow. So what I thought, what can I do? What can he do? I thought he can rhyme words and he's very good at seeing patterns. So I thought, ah, I can do a little poem for him. So I wrote one poem and he loved it. He loved it. And we said it again and again and again. We found the rhyming words. We looked at all the vocabulary words. We had fun And in the process, Nicholas was learning. And we illustrated it. And he loved the illustration. So I wrote another and another and another. And it just exploded. And because I'm writing so much, the double O's come up, as in cook, look and book. Mm -hmm. So I wrote a poem about Captain James Cook, the last of the great explorers. Captain Cook had a notion there's a gap in the map in a great big ocean. He took a look without the help of any book, hoping to find a quiet little nook. Now, the beauty of poetry is you've got this very small number of words with phenomenal ideas. Mm -hmm. And we were visiting uh, a library one day and we saw all these globes. And I said to him, look, Nicholas, there's a gap in the map. There's no Australia. And it was a globe from 1550. And that set us on a search to who came before Captain Cook. And Nicholas said to me, who came before Captain Cook? And I said, oh, that's easy, Nicholas. That was Christopher Columbus. Mm -hmm. And then he said to me, and who came before Columbus? And I'm stunned because I knew that that questioning doesn't come from a child with a low IQ. Yes. And I needed to see that. That was a a critical point, not only that he was enjoying learning, but that he could think way beyond a seven-year-old child. Yes. And and it's, yeah, way beyond. And also by asking a question like that, that he's showing examples that he wants to learn. Oh, I'll jump to the, I'm, I'm going to take you through it. Then I'm going to jump. Yes. Okay. So we returned to Brisbane, Australia. And Nicholas, in my view, has made phenomenal growth in his thinking and learning and loving of learning. His growth in reading and writing, and I was given one set of books to help him learn to decode words. He could do it. And he was learning that at a snail's pace. So we returned to the school and I saw the person who had been doing the testing, had done the testing 12 months prior, and I just said to her, 
we have had so much fun in England. You know, we've, we've seen these things and he connected it and he's just had a ball. She stood there, she put her hands on her hips and she said, well, he's the worst child I've seen in 20 years of teaching. Wow. It's amazing that they're openly, openly saying that. It, I think it slipped. I think there was a problem between the brain and the mouth and she should have stopped it. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. However, I didn't say anything. I just walked away. I, I walked away with my tail between my legs. But I went home and I started stewing on this and I went back to her and I said, I don't care what you call him, but if he is the worst child you've seen in 20 years of teaching, don't expect him to learn like everybody else. And that was huge. And it gave me permission then to continue to change the teaching until he got it. Yes. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that, uh, did you say you confronted the teacher that way or that was you saying to yourself? I hey, went back to her. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. went back to her and said that, you know, you can call him. Call him whatever you like. No, that, that's great uh, because yeah. if he is the worst you've ever seen, then you've got to teach him differently, not yeah. like you teach everyone else. Yeah. yeah. Yes, yes, that, yes, that's appropriate, yeah. very appropriate, yes. Yeah. That was, they were, and in fact, you know, her nasty words were really helpful for me and for my mindset and for my thinking. Yes. So that was one. Good. That very afternoon, the reading teacher, Nicholas has two teachers. He has a classroom teacher and a reading teacher. Classroom teachers are magnificent, brilliant. The reading teacher, well, we'll find out about her. She sends Nicholas home with 10 sight words, those little words you supposedly just have to learn. And she sends him home with the word saw and the word now. He knew eight of the 10 words. He didn't know saw and now. And she gave him the two sentences, the same two sentences she gave for every other child in her care. The first sentence was, I saw, I saw a cat climb up a tree. And the second sentence was, I saw a man rob a bank. And Nicholas read them and he said, I saw a cat. And he stopped. And then he read again, I was a cat. No, no he said, no. And then he said, I had a cat. Mm. And I asked a cat. Mm. And, and that was it. And he just handed me the paper. So here I am listening to him read and thinking, I wonder what's going on. I didn't say anything. But then I worked out what was happening. The teacher has given the word saw. I saw a clap climb up a tree as the past tense of the word to see, the abstract meaning to look. Nicholas, on the autistic spectrum, has the other meaning. He has the concrete meaning, the meaning of to cut. So when he read, I saw a cat, he cut the cat. And he said, no, this doesn't make sense. And then he said, well, I was a cat. No, that and the other two don't make any sense. And that's when I said to him, Nicholas, when we were in England, did we, and we went to see Windsor Castle. Do you remember? Yes, I remember Windsor, Windsor Castle, he said, yes. Did we put a saw in our bag? And when we got to Windsor, we'll say, get the saw out and Let's cut a brick out of the wall. Quick, yes. no guards are looking. Cut a brick out of the wall. No, we didn't do that. Nicholas, when we went to the library and we saw Captain Cook's original maps, did we use a saw to see the maps? No, he said. And what about when we saw the Gutenberg Bible? What did we do? He said, we looked at it. Now, this scenario of the worst child I've seen in 20 years of teaching combined with I saw a cat climb up a tree, put a fire in my belly and made me so upset that I became a reading teacher. All right, now before we go any further, what type of education did do you have at this time that you would make yourself become a professional teacher at this point? I trained as a physical education teacher. Mm-hmm. So I had taught, I'd done that, and I had that degree behind me. 
And then I had stayed at home when my boys were small because of my husband's work and study and what we were doing. So I, at this time, was a stay-at-home mum and looking to go, what am I going to do now as my boys are getting older? What am I going to do? And I was put in this situation to say, well, you know, the teacher really messed up here. And the time we'd had in Oxford was so unusual and it gave me a different view of what's involved with reading. So I was then able to think over time, I want to do more of this. And that's that's where that fitted in. Yeah. So I was a teacher, but but the physical education teacher, it wasn't it, that helped me focus on skills. Mm-hmm. But what it did was that I also realised how much I struggled with reading when I was learning in school. And I struggled all the way through even getting my degree. And I, in fact, failed the subject of anatomy. And when we came to redo anatomy, the professor, instead of just writing words on the board, actually had a box of bones. Yes. And he pulled out the bones and he said, this is about And my mind went, oh, oh, I can do this. So when Nicholas failed, I'm starting to reflect on me and my thinking and my learning, where I failed, where I succeeded, where did, what made me do well. It wasn't abstract. Mm-hmm. I could do it. And so that it was a pivotal point in my life that really helped me focus on where I am now, to, to lead me to where I am now. And at this time, Nicholas's growth in reading is still incredibly slow. I send him to school every day and I would be at home. And then when he'd come home, I'd do his homework with him. And if he couldn't do anything, on one afternoon, I wouldn't say anything. I wouldn't do anything. But then the next day when he goes to school, my mind is doing flips. How am I going to teach him this? What activity am I going to have so that when he comes home, it'll be easy for him to do? Mm -hmm. And that's what happened. So he's learning in school and I'm supporting it at home with all sorts of fun activities. Mm -hmm to make the learning great. And it was about April of May, might have been April in 1996, we wake up one morning. It's about 5 o'clock. It's light where we are. And I could hear a voice in the lounge room. And it was a voice of someone reading. And so I got out of bed and I looked into our lounge room and there was Nicholas dressed for school reading a book that we'd read last year. Mm-hmm. And I went and I got my husband. I said, Nicholas is reading. Nicholas is reading. You've got to come and see. Yeah, yeah. And that was the day where he first read independently and you could go, we're getting it. We're He's getting, getting yes. it. Yes, yes. Oh, that had been exciting. And, and, yeah. and again, just for him to display that uh, he had the desire to want to get an education, to want to be educated like other people, didn't want to be the oust of the... Uh, a uh, social uh, outcast or whatnot either. So, yeah, it, yeah this, it, and most kids are like it. They want to be able to be like their friends. And, but yeah, I, I, again, I taught school 12, 14 years, and, um, yeah, it took me took me a year or two for me to realize I need to make my science class more fun than just out of the book. And being with science, there's a lot of stuff you can do to be fun and learn. And, uh, yeah, my first year was pretty much, like you said, write this off the board. Because I couldn't write. I had, I had uh, uh, those, uh, oh, the reflector thing, whatever you call it. Overhead projectors. Yes, 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 yes. That's, that's what I had. had everything. And then all they were doing, just copying with, with, uh, copying off the board, uh, the overhead projector, what, what they could have just copied out of their own daggum book. And um, I had one student my first year, and she says, how come you don't ever give worksheets for us to just do the worksheet. I said, well, I thought it'd just be easier if I just give it to you. She says, oh, so I think you'll learn we'll do better 
if you can let us work too. And so I gave out worksheets one day and we went over to class. I gave them time to do it. And then she, oh, she comes by me. And this is a student, seventh grade student. Yeah. And she says, now, wasn't that easier on you? And uh, we, we, we did okay. And that was my first year teaching. And after that, man, I said, y'all getting more sheets. We're going to be doing more, uh, again, science. We're going to do more activities so we can have hands-on experience like you're talking. Oh, yeah. yeah she, that student woke me up real quick. And I'm glad she did. I'm going to come back to that. Yes. Because I'm going to tell you the end of the story without, you know, my book is reversed to memoir and I give you the whole story of what happened to Nicholas from that point on. Nicholas graduated with his PhD in applied mathematics from Oxford University in 2018. From someone that had a bleak educational testing, whatever, and went on and got a PhD. Okay. Yeah. From Oxford, not yes. any university. Anyway, after he graduates, I say to him, I'm thinking now, now will be the time for me to ask Nicholas what happened in first grade because I really didn't know. Mm-hmm. I said, Nick, what happened? You can tell me. My son cried and not a word emerged from his mouth. And that's when I recognised my son has been traumatised from this first year in school. And when I asked him to do that, he went straight back to first grade and he hasn't processed one drop of it. Yeah. I can't deal with that. So I, I said, let's not go there. Nicholas, what happened when you and I learned together in Oxford? And it was like the brain switched. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Happy. Oh, yeah. And he said, I remember the poems you wrote for me, and he named the poems. That's how powerful it was, these simple little poems he named. And he said, and the mapping, the the learning about Captain Cook and all those maps, they taught me to love learning, and I never want to stop learning. Amen. And that's where you should be in life. We ought to be learning something yeah. You know, even 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 if uh, we may relearn what we had already known 20 years ago, but have put it in the back burner in our brain, forgot about it, and relearn. I mean, but we ought to be learning something, you know, as long as we can. There'll be a day that we won't. Uh, yeah. But, uh, yeah, as long as we can, we need to keep doing it. One, it, it makes us feel better we've learned something. It helps keep our mind active and healthy. And then it keeps our rest of our body active and healthy by learning and doing. So, yeah, we, we need to be more conscious. It's a shame. I, I'm not sure in other parts of the world and everything, but they say that um, uh, when people graduate high school in America here, that they, they never read another book. Never read another book after uh, that. Yeah. So, man, I, I got a friend that uh, he, he, he actually moved in from South Korea my junior or sophomore year of high school and he went in came into transfer student he stayed here and everything like that and we've been friends all these years and he tries to read a hundred books a, a year, year a year and this is from south korea to korea. here you yeah. know and so yeah he, yeah he tries to read and he's a author of a couple of books as well i helped him uh yeah. put them together and publish them and stuff and so he wrote a couple of books and his name he goes by kim kim keon kim and so he's a he's a good one. So, but oh, yeah, he tries he tries to read a a hundred books, a, books year. a year, and then you got all these people that are natural citizens in America, and they're like they're allergic to it. <laughs> so, but you go back and look, and you know as well as I do, the ones that read are usually not one hundred percent. Usually, the ones that are more successful in life. Yes, yes, yes. The way they continue yes. learning. Yes. And All right, I'm sorry I interrupted yeah, yeah. you there. <laughs> no, that's perfectly fine because we'll come back to that because I think that's what we're talking about is lifelong learning. Mm-hmm. And then he said to me, and he, he didn't, he started to giggle and it was a seven-year-old giggle that had come up right from in, deep inside of him and he said, you wrote a poem about a witch's spell and he's laughing. 
laughing. <laughs> I, I said I did, Nicholas. We wrote, I wrote a poem about a witch's spell, and he said, and I wrote the ingredients for the spell, and it was so funny. Yes. <laughs> and it's I'm shocked because I left out, in my book, I left out the witch's spell. I didn't put that in at all. Why? Because my poem was terrible. Uh-huh. It was spin, spit, spot the spell, trying to learn all these SP words in context so the rhythm wasn't right and the rhyme wasn't always right. To Nicholas, that didn't matter. What mattered was that he and I wrote the ingredients and what I do remember is we, when friends would come to the door, he would run to our room, pick up the book and say to the people, here, read this, read this. And the more they went, ah, the more he laughed. Yes. Uh, and so it was hilarious. And I know the ingredients that he was putting in. Yeah, so Nicholas, and he wrote, you know, the, the ingredients, the, the blood of a dead lizard, alien brains, bird poo. And these were the ingredients that were so funny to him. And the power, you know, it just taught me so much about teaching in hindsight that Nicholas was in a safe space. He was laughing and he was learning. Uh-huh. You know, that was that poem. And then when we think about all that we did with the mapping, it wasn't that we I was writing poems. Well, what's interesting with Nicholas is that if I read a book to him, I lost him. Yeah. I I couldn't he he couldn't take in the information. The words came too quickly. Mm-hmm. So I I had to read the book myself. I had to take that information and turn it into a poem. And once it was within a poem format, he and I could then discuss it, we could learn about it, and then we're learning to read on top of that. And then we're tapping into the memory because as we would walk to pick up his brothers from school, we would recite our poems. So I'm lining his brain with language, with all of this poetry, as well as the thinking. So we're doing decoding, we're doing vocabulary, we're doing the thinking, we're into, um, what's my word? Not his curiosity, but into inquiry. Mm, yes. And the whole experience, when I became a teacher, I knew I wanted to repeat that, that pattern for every other child I came across. I couldn't do exactly that, but I did as much as I could within the confines of learning in a classroom. And I did it. And I believe you've done an amazing job and. <laughs> Uh, from there, I appreciate the perseverance that you used to do this through. And there is a uh, copy of your book we put on the screen for people to come in and look at. Reversed, I like the way you got the R reversed as well in there. A yes. memoir. And I love the uh, image you use there. That's one of them little images, I don't know what we call them, but we, uh, when I was in elementary, I remember they doing that and it was, they'll move them back and forth and say, yes. And count how many times on ABC, yes. and then you yes. unfold it, and it talks about what you're going to eat for supper, or what your next girlfriend's name would be, yeah. and yeah, 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 yeah. And that map, the map that the the what I can't even remember what they're called either. Yeah, I don't is, know what it's called. I don't know what we. I've forgotten. Yeah, but the map was really important because mm-hmm. that map is was the world's first map printed in 250 or in 250 AD. And because we were in Oxford, you know, we were able to buy a book of Ptolemy maps. And see, then that all the fun came because Christopher Columbus' latest map was the Ptolemy map printed in 250 AD. And Columbus could go across the Atlantic because he underestimated the size of the world. I mean, you know, and all of these things came out when we're learning. The amount I learned, the amount Nicholas learned, and we were learning together. We created the community. It's what you did when your classroom, when you're doing hands-on experience and hands-on learning, that 
you're looking at did it work did it not work mm, what happened why why did it do that you know it's not it's not you got it wrong it's Mm, that's an interesting result. I wonder why. And when you're asking those questions, you're including the child in the discussion and with the thinking. And we're learning together. Yeah, I, I learned, like you said, uh, at the first year teacher, you know, they teach you, you know, well, when they're wrong, and they'll say, try not to say they're wrong, you yeah. know, but you go, well, yeah, that's not quite right. But how did you come up with that? All right, now let's see how we can use how you came up with that. Let's see how we can divert it to where you come up with the correct answer. Yeah, as a first yeah. year teacher, you learn a lot of what not to do the next year. <laughs> I mean, it's <laughs> easy, easy to get what you're doing right, but it's what, like you just said, what's not working, get it out of here and don't do it again. Yeah. Okay. And so, yeah, yeah, and- yeah I'm very thankful that I had that student that that wasn't afraid to question. Yes, do you think, this isn't working. Yes, and I mean, yeah, if this you wouldn't have work. done that, how long longer would I would have just taught by the book and not done experiments and not done the hands-on? And uh, I got, I got to, I got to where we would, we would do hands-on like three times a week it, and everything. We- three times a week we do something with science, and one, it was fun for me. Two. They're allowed to talk out loud and not worry about me going, be quiet. We're trying to write this off the board. You know, that way they can still socialize and do what they need to do and still learn the information and a lot less stressful for me (laughs) to to not have to worry about things. And so, yeah, I'm glad that that students spoke up to me. You're absolutely right. Because, you know, I think a lot about what happened with Nicholas. If the reading teacher had got the sentences of Saul right, I would not be in this position I'm in today. Yes. Yeah, now, I would have said you send him to school and the teachers get it right. But it was the teacher, the specialist teacher who failed Nicholas and me. And if I wasn't there to support Nicholas... She would have went back and said, well, your child's not getting it because he's not very smart. And we've got paperwork to show you. He's not very smart. Yes. So, you know, that cycle. And when I went back to my studies, the paper that lives with me today was called Beyond the Deficit Theory, written by an Australian professor, published in 1990, before Nicholas went to school, that said when children fail to learn to read in the classroom, what do we do? We say, well, look at their home background, look at their IQ, look at this, look at that, and we fail to examine our teaching method. Uh, yeah, the uh, educational system first to first to pinpoint what's not home, going home and working out at home, instead of pinpointing what do we need to do to change this first. Yes. I mean, yes. of course, again, those kids are there six or six, seven hours a day. And if they're, a lot of them, if they're going to get their education, it's going to be during that time because the family life is not structured correctly in some places. Mom's doing the best you can, being a single mom. Dad being best you can, single dad, working two jobs. And, you know, the education is really put there for the education. The, 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 the child can't help it if mom and dad's working to, uh, be, to, to allow them to, to survive to live. And yeah, it's not their fault. So, and I, and, and one thing I learned uh, with my younger brother, and this before I got in, I mean, I, I was going to school to be a teacher, but he graduated from uh, high school and he was one of them put into resource classes, special ed classes type. But it wasn't because he wasn't smart. And I learned this and I brought this up to other, when I become a teacher, when we have our, parent meetings with the uh, teachers and parents and i brought it up a couple of times is because they would go my, my child is just not smart enough no it's not that for some reason they don't care to learn what's been learned here i said because i guarantee you i guarantee you when it's time to get that driver's license they'll know everything they'll know everything in that book to pass that test to be able to drive 
because that's what they want to do. To do. So right now yeah. they don't care about math and science yeah. and they may not yeah. go to college, but that doesn't yeah. mean my younger brother, a great example. I told him he didn't care about going to school, but you give him a wrench and told him that car is not working. He'll tear that car apart it. until he get it fixed. Yeah. And so a lot of his education should have been, well, when Johnny took two apples away out of a bunch of 10, how many apples have left? His test ought to have been, with his tires flat, Yes. what's what's the best way we can fix this? And then it's plug it, change it, put a new one, whatever, you know, as an answer. Because he didn't care about Johnny and counting how many apples in math, you know, his... And so, yep, a lot of a lot of these places, I think they're going more to it. I don't think they're going fast enough to it. it needs to be more of individualizing teaching. You know, yes, you're right. You're right. But I... It'd be a lot of work on the teacher. I understand that. But... Teachers... Like you say, teachers, are, you know, they know they've got an incredible job. The first thing, you know, is to me is mindset. How does the teacher see the child? If you see that child as dumb, like the reading teacher saw Nicholas is just dumb. He's not very smart. And she said, this is the way I'm teaching. The same two sentences for him as she gave every other child in her care. And she's teaching Nicholas one-on-one, -on -one, four days a week, 30 minutes a day. That's unacceptable. Mm -hmm. There's no reason why in those ideal circumstances she could not have changed the teaching. But it goes back to a mindset. So her mindset was the kid is not very smart. Yeah. That's the first. And then to think a little bit wider than what do I have to do. The kid is, you know, there's a lot of discussion in literacy about which sort of reading you're doing. I actually cannot even get into those discussions. Because to me, it's not, am I doing this? But it's, what is the child learning? Are they learning what you're teaching or are they regurgitating it? Yeah, exactly. And then not regurgitating, a, yes. Yeah, exactly. and not right. able to transfer it? What, you know, the question is, what else do I have to do as the teacher to engage this child? And it goes back to, if we can't do this, if they're not getting this and they're not learning it, what are we going to change? What can I change? Yes. Well, we can we can we can do just a science experiment. We can write about it. Ah, the moment you've done that, you've created a community for the child and you. Yes. Hey, now there's one thing you're talking about when the, a teacher's mindset is already locked in. They're not smart enough, and uh, I'll do bare minimum, so I say I'm teaching, but I can put more into the ones that want to learn is what they're thinking. Okay, here, here's one thing that, and this is behavioral more than yeah. the educational for me. Uh, when I taught seventh grade, we had sixth grade, seventh yeah. grade, and eighth grade in our one school. So we yeah. would get the sixth graders coming up, right? We're not allowed in open public to talk about students and their grades for confidentiality, yeah. correct? Yeah, yeah. We're not, I can't, you know, I can't come to you and go, Lois, I want to tell you about James and that dirty yeah. bum. You wouldn't believe. No, we're not allowed to do that confidentiality. All right. Yeah. To strangers and other parents. Yeah. I wish they would also include, you're not allowed to talk to other teachers about them confidentially because now, because that's, here's what would happen with me. I would hear sixth grade teachers talk about students that are coming up to us and they'll go, oh boy, you don't want James in your classroom. And then he, then they're, they're burning my mind already six months before I get him in class. And so I, I, I started whenever I, they would start anything like that, I'd leave the, I'd leave because I didn't want I didn't want to be infected with that student before I even got a chance to know him. And so, yeah, I would leave. So I, yeah, I learned that real quick. My, I find my story absolutely fascinating because, yes. you know, I said we're in Australia and we had the six months in Oxford, 
you know, on Oxford, all the cities in the world we could have been is phenomenal. Every time you turn a corner, there's more history. There's something else to talk about. Right. We went from Brisbane, Australia to Lubbock, Texas in 1999, again, following my husband and his work. In Lubbock, Texas, Nicholas goes from the bottom to the top. In my book, I identify nine factors that happened in Lubbock that would not have happened in our home of Brisbane. And it goes back. She's referring to the book is reversed. Reversed. A memoir. A memoir. Okay. And so Nicholas, you know, Nicholas is doing well in Lubbock. And talk about perseverance with his reading. You know, how did he, how did his reading improve from this kid who was reading so slowly to be able to cope? He graduated in the top 20% of his class at high school. However, he went from elementary school to middle school and he was doing something different. So he wasn't with his peers in middle school. He's going to a totally different school. Day one, period one, he wants to go into the advanced placement pre-AP mathematics class. And what had happened was he, every year in grade four, five and six in elementary school, he had received academic recognition. So he'd got 55 out of 56. He'd done well. And he said, I'd I'd really like to try one pre-AP class. So he goes off to this class and the teacher asked them to fill out an index card with their parents' names and addresses, phone numbers, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, written in a particular way. Nicholas's stress levels going to this new school, his brain is, is up high, mm-hmm. so he struggles to take in information. He couldn't do her first task. And she said, the whole class is behind because of you, Nicholas. She tore up his work and humiliated him there and then. Wow. He lasted four days in that class. And he lasted four days because I watched him go into the school on the Thursday and I saw him standing at the bottom of the steps looking up and I thought, this is like grade one all over again. We're not doing this. So I got out of the car and I went to the teacher and said, and I said to Nicholas, you're not doing this class. End of story. You're not doing it. We're changing it. We got him out. And she said, oh, thank goodness he's gone. And he did. We found a way around it. Did it impact him long term? Not doing that class? No. Yes. Did it leave a mark on him that said this is really horrific? Yes. Yes. Anyway. He, he didn't do that and he did other maths classes and that was fine. The lower level ones, did not a problem. The next teacher he meets or the next thing he wants to do is Texas Best Engineering, W-E-S-T, I think it's called. I can't remember the neat of them. And the, it's an after-school activity where they have to make Lego robots and it's run by the science teacher. And Nicholas comes home and he says... Oh, I went to the engineering class today and Mrs. Lovering, the teacher, wants to know why I'm not in her pre-AP science class. She All said right. to me, Nicholas, I like the way you think. And I'm nearly in tears over it because to someone to see his strength after the failure that teachers had put him through was just unbelievable. She believed in him. She shifted him to her science class and from there on, Nicholas flew. He went to high school. He had the best teachers, you know, and he did the academic decathlon in mathematics. Mm-hmm. And one day the teacher came to Nicholas or came, something had happened in the, in the, uh, in the testing and one of the examiners for the academic decathlon and the man, was, person was shaking his head. And she, he went to the teacher and he said, one of your students did something really funny. You know, they left all the easy questions and they only did all the challenging stuff. And the teacher just said, ah, uh, I know who that will be. Yes, that's right. There you go. And, and so, you know, there's this transformation, but it comes back to, again, 
how do we see these children who are in front of us? We can make them or we can break them. We can believe in them or we can discard them. What are we going to do? Amen. And to me, that goes to you you need these teachers. Some of them need to fake it for these kids to make it. They, they may they may believe they're the worst they've ever seen in 20 years, but you don't tell the kids. You go, hey, man, I've never had a child like you in 20 years, and this is going to be amazing what you're going to get out of this. And again, again even if he only increases half a grade level, that's increasing. But when you first come out and say, shh, yeah, I've already given up on you already. No, no. Some of them need to fake it for these kids to make it. I love that. I love that. You're the, you're, what did you say something? You're the most amazing student I've had in 20 years. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're not amazing, but I said, I said, yeah. I, I haven't had a child like you in 20 years. 20 years. This is going to be amazing what, what you're yeah. going to accomplish and what I'm going to accomplish because it's going to take a lot of work from both of us that That's we're right. both going to accomplish by the end of this year. Yeah, you don't have to say we're student ever. I haven't had a child like you in 20 years. 20 years. This is going to be amazing what both of us are going to yeah. uh, achieve this year. Yeah. That switch, that switch in mindset. I mean, I think that's what my that's what my book's about. You know, it's the story, but it's also how we can condemn children. Yes. And, and my son, you know, my husband's a professor. I'm a teacher. And they still failed us. So if you've got added struggles on top of you've got no chance you've got no and that you know it's not just it's at the beginning of children's lives that we are condemning them and the foundation at the beginning just makes the rest of it so much more difficult you know and because of this this discussion i had with nicholas in 2018 i now do a podcast when learning is trauma because we talk to people who struggle through school and then have done things, but it leaves such a mark to tr- just to get the idea that for teachers and parents, when kids aren't learning, what else do we have to do to limit the trauma that is being inflicted in an educational institution? Yes. Change our mindsets. Change our mindset. I love That's it. Right. You're the most amazing kid I've seen in 20 years. Yeah. This is going to be brilliant. What are we going to do? That's right. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Uh, you don't have to go to the negative. Stay positive. It, it still could be, yeah, you don't have to be brutally honest with them, but you don't have to lie to them either. Hey, that's- haven't had a child like you in 20 years. <laughs> this is going to be incredible and amazing this year. Yeah. So, and I'm glad, I'm glad, I'm glad to hear the story that you mentioned about him going to the uh, computer, these, the uh, engineering West, class yeah, and yeah. and been getting that way can be hands on again thinking yeah. critically yeah. what to do and mm-hmm. I'm glad that teacher was very accepted and and oh. going from there and that I mean again talking about building someone's character esteem confidence yeah uh, yeah that that teacher is on the right right path. Uh-huh. I have a book trailer that's worth seeing because it was done on the day Nicholas graduated with his PhD. So, you know, and, and, and the contrast, it's fantastic. And, you know, so hands-on learning I think is critical because Nicholas played a lot with Connects, you know, the building toy mm-hmm. Connects, you might mm-hmm. you might not know. And on my website there's a lot of pictures of the things that he did, you know, the Eiffel Tower and the Sydney Harbour Bridge and Sydney Opera House, of all of these things. And you're not just building but you're learning foundations you're learning mathematics you're applying mathematics all the time yes yeah yeah it's not just uh, fun they may not they may not put out a piece of piece of paper and tape measure and go well you know if i adjust this another half inch what no they're mentally seeing something fall and they know they have to adjust it make it stay up correctly and so yeah there's a lot of to it than just putting it in pencil and paper yeah. On, on the thing so yeah it's all yeah. hey lois now uh, appreciate all you're doing and everything and don't want to cut you too short but you've been amazing uh, i would love to uh, meet nicholas one day on uh maybe a podcast with him and talk with him 
And so you know, this, this, this has been, been amazing just listening to his side of the story. So uh, if you were to go ahead and give your website and uh, put that uh, that book trailer you're talking about. Yes. And how we can find your book. And I'll uh, you tell everybody, I'll also link everything in the description to make it easier. But if you go ahead and tell everybody. Yes. Uh, my website is loisletchford.com. I have a YouTube channel. Again, it's loisletchford.com. And it's if you put in Lois Letchford Reverse to Memoir, my book trailer comes up. I'm on Twitter. I'm on Facebook. I'm on LinkedIn. I do some of Instagram, but I get overwhelmed with social media. There you go. And Lois Letchford, uh, Letchford is L-E-T-C-H-F-O-R-D. And Lois Letchford. Yes. And you're good. I tell people just Google it everything else will pop up where it's supposed to but i'll put links also in the description as well to make it easier on everyone else so lois if you take take one more thing i'll ask for before you we know that there's people that are hurting and struggling today if you can give us some type of positive message that would help them get through today that would be a blessing and awesome i think my positive message is believe in the children who you think are the most who are the most amazing you've seen in 20 years of teaching. There you go. Awesome. So, yeah, just believe in the children. They're going to come out the way you expect them to come out. If you think they're the worst you've ever seen, they're going to be the worst you've ever dealt with. If you think they're the most amazing, they're going to show you some amazing things. Lois, appreciate you being here. Everyone else is coming in on the replay. Be sure to share this out. Find somebody you know that needs some inspiration, some hope. And Lois, thank you for being here. Be sure to tell Nicholas, I said, uh, Dr. Nicholas, tell him I said hello, and we'd (laughs) like to meet him one day. And so everybody else, do something today, tomorrow, something next week that's going to allow you to persevere past your paralysis. Thanks for listening to the Professor of Perseverance podcast. For motivation, inspiration, and encouragement. For more information, go to Facebook at Professor of Perseverance. Visit the website at ProfessorofPerseverance.com and view the YouTube channel, Dr. James Perdue, Professor of Perseverance.